If you've got a Bible with you, uh, if you can turn to Colossians, um, Colossians 2 verses 1 to 8 this morning. If you haven't got a Bible, no worries. I'll be projecting it up on the screen behind me. If you worship here regularly, uh, you'll know that we've been going through this excellent letter um, written by the Apostle Paul, a once, um, a once Christian murderer and persecutor, uh, who had a dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus and then devoted the rest of his life to planting churches and spreading the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the relevance uh, that has for us today. Um, A man who really changed, if you like, world history and continues to do so through these fantastic letters full of encouragement, full of wisdom, full of prayer. And in a nutshell, this passage, this bit of uh, the letter that we're going to be reading today, is, is, is basically saying that the study of God, the understanding, the wisdom, the knowledge of Jesus, and all that you've read so far in the letter earlier, is essential to living a meaningful and fulfilled life. In fact, if you don't, in fact, you don't need to add anything extra to it. You see, Jesus is probably the most influential person that has ever lived on planet Earth. That is an uncontroversial statement. I've said that before. And if you're a rational person here this morning, um, you'll want to know about him, wouldn't you? So that's what he's saying here. Knowledge, understanding, in a nutshell, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, or let me put it to you differently, he's saying that, Thinking things out leads to faith. And really, that's what I'm going to unpack for you this morning. Thinking is an essential starter in, our, in, in faith. So let's read, shall we, uh, the letter. Colossians 2, 1 to 8. Colossians 2. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea, um, a, a town nearby, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by sounding arguments. There's a lot of them out there. Um, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit uh, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, because of all that stuff, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. There's a lot of that out there as well, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this passage of Scripture. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you require us to think things out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, the Bible, inspired by you, breathed by you. I thank you, Lord, that it is full of truth and life. 
And I pray, Lord God, as we go through this uh, passage this morning, that you bring that truth alive in our hearts so that our faith can show itself in action. Our faith can show itself in transformed lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy. Amen. So thinking leads to faith. You see, the Christian view of faith, believing, trusting, is quite multidimensional. It's quite complex, really, breaking it Breaking it down simply, Christian faith is something that begins with understanding. It begins with thinking. And then it ultimately leads to a personal commitment. I believe this. And finally, it completes itself with a conviction, with a transformed life in action. And that's what, that's what Christian faith is all about. And I would say, unless all three of these parts are present, it's not Christian faith. And what has become clear to me uh, as I've pondered this over the years is, yeah, we get the personal commitment bit. Yeah, we get the faith in action bit. But the thinking and the reasoning bit is a little bit more fuzzy. Thinking and reasoning things out is integral to our Christian faith. It really is. Now, a lot of people would probably disagree with this. Uh, they would say quite the opposite. They would, they would say that our faith is blind. That we Christians clearly don't things, think things through. And that's why we believe the things that we do. Tadwa, very simple, but very, very important what he brought. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. That's what we believe, that he rose again, don't, didn't we? Don't we? People reckon we believe these kind of things because we haven't thought them through. That we're deluded. Get real, they say. Uh, the uh, atheist author, Sam Harris, writes this. We have names for people who have many beliefs, for which there is no rational justification, he says. When their beliefs are extremely common, we call them religious. Otherwise, we're likely to be called, otherwise they are likely to be called mad, psychotic, or delusional. An article in one of the papers, I can't remember which one now, said this, Christians, you lot, me, Christians are poor, uneducated and easily led. So yeah, there you go, that says it all. Christians are dumb, brainwashed, weak, deluded people. Thank you very much. You can go now, be encouraged, be blessed, have a good week. No, we're not going to finish there. Over the last 200 years, people have been predicting that faith in Jesus will eventually thin out and then die out as the world moves into our scientific and technological advancement. But do you know what? Then we now know that that is not happening. Faith in Jesus and across the world Faith in Jesus across the world is growing. Faith in Jesus in faith, faith in Jesus in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America is not just growing, it's exploding. So this morning, what I want to get across is that Christian faith is not just compatible with thinking. No way. We're not going to settle for that this morning. Yeah, you know what? Get this. You can have faith and still be a person who thinks. Great. How patronizing is that? No, I want to show you that Christian faith consists of, demands us, requires of us, in fact, 
stimulates the most profoundest thinking and reasoning and rationality that there is. You cannot be a Christian long term without using your brain to its utmost. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that the reason why many people rock when life throws uncertainty um, in our way or why there's not so much faith in the UK these days or so the papers tell us, is because there's not much thinking today. We li- you see, we live in a culture that is too busy to think out the important questions of life. How can I know what's real? How can I know what's right, right and wrong? What can I hope for? What can I live for? Big, heavy questions. We're too busy, we're too distracted. What's really important is my career. What's going on? What's going to make me happy? How am I going to make money? What are my psychological needs? Who am I going to have a relationship with next? How do I look? What does he or she think about me? These are the things that captivate our minds and our heads these days. God sometimes doesn't get a look in. But hear this. This is not doubt on the basis of thinking and reasoning. Rather, that is doubt on the basis of an absence of thinking. In fact, a refusal to think. And that, and that's the point of the Apostle Paul. That, that, that's pretty much what he's um, making out in that passage that we've just read. You cannot have a transforming Christian life without a vigorous life of the mind. You've got to use your brain. In fact, Jubilee, what was my last point when I last spoke? Theology matters. Really does. And so my three points this morning is really an extension of my last point. Um, And the three points are really three questions. And it says this, and the questions are, does thinking lead to faith? How does thinking lead to faith? And where does Christian thinking lead us to? So firstly, does thinking lead to faith? Well, of course it does. Let me give you an example. Who's at uni? Who's studying at university here this morning? Just hands up. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. Don't be scared. Hands up if you're a student here, yeah. If you're going to try to decide, or when you were trying to decide, what university you wanted to go to, where you're going to spend the next three or four years of your life, you didn't open the, um, the directory of universities and go, that one. Did you? Maybe you did. No, you'll have researched it. You'll have read about it in brochures or prospectuses that you trust. You'll have visited places, some of you. You'll have asked questions. You'll have heard out what other, people's, what other people had to say about it. And then you'd have got your third choice and ended up in here in Teesside. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Remember what Paul said quite a few weeks ago now? You were sent here. Really important. Before you make that choice about university, you think about it deeply, don't you? And any other approach really would be irresponsible. Faith is no different. People need to know something in their minds before they can believe in it. That requires thinking. That's pretty straightforward, really, isn't it? Let me give you another example. 
More and more these days when I'm chatting to people about their faith, particularly when they first become a Christian on Alpha courses or in other settings or before being baptised, for instance, I ask them, I ask them, do you believe this stuff? And do you know what? And do you know what they often say? Um, they say, hmm, it's true for me. I ask them, do you believe that Jesus is true? And as you get talking to them, and as you get chatting to them, you often realise that these guys often come at a time of crisis, at a time of great need, and eventually, eventually, after a process, after, uh, uh, after being on the Alpha course or whatever, or after their friends have talked to them about Jesus, they eventually say, you know what, I'm ready. I want this. I want Jesus. And do you know what? That is great. It really is. We celebrate that. Because I know that Jesus can and will eventually meet those needs. But the important question to me is, do you really believe this stuff? And and I've I've seen sometimes when I've asked that question, they look at me puzzled. But that's not unusual because people often look at me puzzled. (laughs) They, They sometimes go quiet. And then they say, as I've just said, Raj, you know what? It's true for me. It's real for me now. It fits my circumstances and situation now. And that's okay short term. Why do I say that? You see, that kind of faith often doesn't stand the test of time. As you walk with Jesus, and as you go through life, that kind of faith is often not robust enough to take you through. It's, it's, it's not good enough, if you like, to just think it's true for you now. Your thinking, your research, your reading, your prayer time, your meditation before God, your reflection, must lead you to a place where you think it's not just true for you now, but it's true for you full stop. Otherwise, I would argue it's not Christian faith. Let me explain. The Apostle Paul says this. We live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. What's he saying? Well he, isn't, well, he certainly isn't saying that we live by faith and not by reasoning or thinking. That's what we've said a lot of people think about faith these days. No, Paul isn't contrasting faith and reasoning as two opposite things. He's contrasting faith and sight, what we see as two opposite things. And this really came home to me uh, when I visited the dentist a few days, a few months ago. I'd last been to the dentist when I was eight years old and they took loads of teeth out, so I never went back there again. Why would you? However, years on, Charlotte, my wife, her mum, her dad, were all saying, I think you should go to the dentist, Raj. Even the kids were getting at me. Uh, particularly after watching Peppa Pig at the dentist. They once asked, in fact, Jesh once asked, Daddy, are you scared? Me? Scared? Don't be daft. So I decided to give it a go again. And after my initial assessment at the dentist and x-rays and whatnot, they decided that I was going to need a root canal procedure. This is where they bore a hole into one of your teeth and gouge out all the gunk and dead bits and decay and creepy crawlies, I don't know what, under a local anaesthetic. I questioned the dentist about it. 
He said you wouldn't feel a thing. It was a straightforward procedure. We do this all the time, not a problem. When I got back home, I googled it. I found out what it entailed. In fact, you know that week, I was out with a bunch of dads and one of them was a dentist, Mike. So I spoke to him about it. And he said, it's fine, everything's fine. I wasn't worried about it. (laughs) Then came the day of the operation. The dentist is at mask if you're thinking of joining. So, there isn't really. I walked into the room. Suddenly, the chemical smells hit me. I was greeted by two people, one assistant, and they had headscarves and torches and masks and gloves on. Um, At the side of the chair, I noticed two straps. What were they for? (laughs) I was starting to bottle it. What was happening? I'll tell you what was happening. I was losing my faith. How come? I'd done all the research, I'd asked all the questions. Why was I now losing my faith? I'll tell you why. It was because of my sight. Because of what I could see. Before I was walking by faith, but now I'm losing my faith. So what did I do? I ran for my life, of course. (laughs) No, no, I didn't. I felt like it. How did I go through it now that my faith had been rocked? I'll tell you how. I thought about it again. I reasoned the situation out again. I remembered what I was told by the dentist, my friend. I wouldn't feel a thing, and I had it done. And he was right. So what did I learn? The way to renew my faith, particularly when it's being rocked, was to renew my thinking. And that's what Paul was getting at when he wrote, we live by faith and not by sight. Jubilee, it's the absence of thinking that leads me to fear and worry. What's going to happen when things get bad? What's going to happen when God doesn't deal with you in a way that doesn't feel good? that you don't totally understand. It won't feel true for you anymore, maybe. Christianity won't always feel true for you because things that are true don't always feel true. They don't. But Jubilee, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's the faith deal. You need to think and rethink and ask God for that. Is your faith being rocked by a lack of thinking? Have you really thought through the big life questions about Christianity, about Jesus, before you've knocked them to the side? Are you thinking straight this morning? Does does thinking lead to faith? Yes, of course it does. Secondly, how does thinking lead to faith? Well, as Christians, we have looked at the visible. The Bible tells us this. We have looked at the visible, the physical, the material world that we live in, we've looked at people, we've looked into the stars, we've looked at beauty, and we've come to the conclusion that what we see all around us, what we experience all around us, is not just self-explanatory on its own. I remember holding my kids when they were first born, thinking, through the miracle of all that entails, 
that I was holding a live, breathing um, person, a soul, that once there was nothing, and now there was something, a heart beating in my hands. And I remember thinking, you cannot be just an accident. I remember thinking that the universe can't be a random, chaotic machine that didn't care whether I loved this being or hated her. I couldn't stop saying thank you to someone with a capital S for her. I couldn't stop thinking about the years ahead of her without praying to someone with a capital S. More powerful and more in control than I was to watch over her. I didn't realise that as my kids came into the world, that they would bring God with them in a totally different way. The writer of another book in the Bible called, called Hebrews says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made of what is visible, so that what is seen was not made of, made of what is, was visible. You know what? To come, to say it's hard enough, but to come to that conclusion takes a lot of thinking. What's it saying? What's the writer of Hebrews saying? It's saying Christians are people who've looked at the universe and thought about it. And the conclusion we've come to, as I've said just earlier, without God, all of what we see just doesn't make sense on its own. And interestingly, do you know what? That's what the philosophers of science are kind of saying now. One scientific um, philosopher, a philosopher of science, said this, the way that scientists decide that a theory is the one that is really right and is really true is by picking the one with the greatest explanatory power. The greatest explanatory power. What's he saying? He's saying the way you try to understand things um, is by starting with a faith principle, a faith proposition called a theory. You can't prove it, but you start with it. And then you say, let me try that theory on. And then, you, and then you look at the theory, and then you might try another one on, and then you might try another one, and you eventually ask the question, which one has the greatest explanatory power? Which one makes the most sense? The one that really leads me to expect the things that actually happen. The one with the greatest explanatory power. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that we have done as we've come to believe through the power of the Spirit bringing this truth alive in us. A Christian doesn't say, hey, look, I'm a Christian because I have no intellectual problems at all. No way. In fact, you know what? There are quite a few. We spent a whole preaching series of them um, last year. Why does God allow evil and suffering? There's one. There are seemingly intellectual problems with the Christian faith, but just... But, and, and things that I can't get my head around. But you know what? We are not God. You can't prove, uh, you can't prove scientifically that there is a God. You can't prove scientifically that there is no God either. No, believing in God takes a huge leap of faith. But faith that is rooted in thinking. Coming to a realization that the Christian faith has the greatest explanatory power. It makes sense of the world the most. Let me give you a couple of examples. Hands up if you've ever used your brain. Good. 
You see, we, we all use our brain, don't we? You think, you reason, you make important decisions, but think about this. If thinking and brain power, you've got to concentrate here, if thinking and brain power is just a whole load of chemical reactions and molecules and biology, what you can just see, how can you rely on it? How can you trust and act upon your reasoning? How can you know what's real? Why be rational? If minds just do what minds do based on natural law and laws of physics, does that make sense? You think you're free to choose and are creative in picking out and intellectually playing with different kinds of ideas and facts. But if all thinking is, is just programmed methods of running the mind and visible laws, then can you really trust what you're thinking? Can you really depend on this thinking for making life decisions that affect your life and generations to come? Are you really free to think? If you're not a Christian here, let me put it uh, Christian here. Let me put it differently. Um, when you argue, when you question Christianity, you are assuming that the thought, your thoughts and reasoning and thinking, is based on something much deeper than chemistry and molecules, aren't you? Is your thinking apparatus really reliable? Is it trustable? Can you have faith in it? Without God, does it really make sense? How about another one? Morality and right and wrong. You know that deep down you believe in a sense of fair play, don't you? You believe in justice and morality. You say things like, that's not right, that's not good, you're not being fair. You believe from the bottom of your heart that people shouldn't suffer, that people shouldn't go hungry, people shouldn't be oppressed. It's part of who you are. You believe that, don't you? Of course you do. But why? Why should you believe all these things? Why should you bother? You see, if you don't believe in God and you believe that all humanity is just an accident and that God, and that God isn't behind it, if, that's, if, if, if the world is just a result of violent forces coming together and everything can be, or many things can be explained by just evolution and the survival of the fittest, if that's all you believe, then injustice and oppression and hunger and war shouldn't bother you at all. The strong overpowering the weak. What's the big deal with that? Perfectly natural in the godless land of people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. But you do believe, don't you? But your reasoning, but you do believe that, don't you? Especially if you don't believe in God, you do believe that, don't you? But your reasoning has no explanatory power. Christianity, faith in God, reasons this out. In fact, the Bible declares with thoughtfulness and integrity that we are created in God's image. That's what the Bible says. We are his workmanship. We naturally believe we have a moral code in our hearts and that somebody, somebody with a capital S again, put it there. That somebody being God. That's why we act the way we do. That's why we think the way we do. I believe in a supernatural morality, way above my own, thank goodness, one that transcends all of my up and down thinking. Do you see? A world without God, without an overarching standard, where our feelings are just a product of chemistry and atoms, poses a much bigger problem to the idea of right and wrong and morality. 
A guy called John Paul Sartre admitted on the basis of his view of the world that he had no right to really say that Nazism and the Holocaust and fascism was wrong. But he did know it. The Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter in another letter, tells us the requirements of the law, what's right and wrong, is written on our hearts by who? By God. We know it too. People who don't believe in Jesus say this, I can lead a perfectly full life without God. My question to you would be this, full of what? It won't stand the tests of life. You won't be able to think what you believe and apply it to what you do. Have you really thought this through? Can you really lead a full life based on your explanatory power? And if so, full of what? Think. Does thinking lead to faith? Yes, it does. How does thinking lead to faith? Because we have reasoned out all the other options and reasoned in the one with the most explanatory power. And God has done that in our hearts. Finally and briefly, where does Christian thinking lead us to? In one of the books of the Bible, uh, a book called uh, John 1, uh, a book called the, book of the, the Gospel of John. In John 1, the Apostle John, he's a big thinker kind of guy, uh, he opens up the account of Jesus, describing Jesus as the Word of God. Sounds a bit odd to us. He says this in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He's saying Jesus was and is God. And then he goes on to say, The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Sounds a bit clumsy, doesn't it? Why is he calling Jesus the Word? I'll tell you why. The Greek word uh, that he used to describe word was the word logos, from which we get our uh, English word logic or reasoning or thinking stuff out from. He's saying, in the beginning was the Logos, Jesus, and the Logos, the logic, the reasoning was God. And the Logos, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What's he saying it like that for? Well, he's getting us to think. This term, this term for word, Logos, reasoning, thinking, was very popular amongst the Greek culture of the day. It's how people argued the case. It's how people wielded power. It's how people became prominent figures of society. Logos, logic, reasoning, uh, was very important in Jesus' day. And so John breaks into the worldview of reasoning and thinking and rationalizing by describing Jesus this way. He's saying, if you want answers, if you want logic, if you want the very reason for being, don't come to your worldly thinking, don't come to your culturally prejudiced, biased thinking, don't come to your self-centered, selfish, me-me reasons. He's also saying, don't come to a set of rules and regulations either, which you can never live up to, that just wear you down. Don't come to a list of do's and don'ts that just make you feel guilty all the time. No. These religions, these ways of life, ways of thinking, just don't work. That's what the Apostle Paul, that's what the Apostle John is saying. 
If you want answers, if you want faith, if you want explanatory power, if you want reason and meaning, come to him. Jesus, a living person. The very meaning of life. The God of the universe. The creator and sustainer of all things. The one who came to you first. He didn't have to. He didn't have to come to you first. He wanted to. None of us deserved it. In fact, our God-dishonouring, God-disobeying, God-disregarding behaviour cut us off from all those privileges. Our sin, putting everything else before him, not centering our very life on him, didn't, uh, didn't deserve a loving relationship. But here's the deal. The deal that defies all reason, the historic event that baffles the mind, that shocks your thinking, that brings people to their knees in worship and adoration all around the world. And here this morning, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what we deserve, to perish. Look at the world we live in. Think about it. When you come to him, actually, he's coming to you first. The rescuer of our souls. The Bible describes Jesus as the love of God. Where does faith lead us to? Where does Christian thinking lead us to? It leads us not to a way of life, not to a list of things, it leads us to a person, Jesus. To end, actually if the band can come up, that would be great. In the Garden of Gethsemane, and um, on the cross, do you know what was happening? All the greatest forces in the universe were arrayed against Jesus. And you know what? He could have stopped them. He could have stopped the rejection. He could have stopped the torture. He could have stopped his death. He could have stopped the eternal justice that was being poured on him for all of our self-centeredness, all of our disregard, all of our dishonour. Instead of all that coming down on us, he could have stopped all that. He could have just given up on us. All he had to do was just walk away. A guy called Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, Jesus Christ was nailed up upon a cross, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people who were betraying him and forsaking him and denying him. And in the greatest act of love in history of the universe, he stared. He stared. And as he died, he let out a victory cry that changed history itself. It is finished. No longer are we separated. No longer are there barriers between us. We can even dare to love this God who loves us through Jesus. He is the Logos. He is the logic, the very reason for being and meaning. He is life itself. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scripture, as the truth, as reasoning, has said, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. Let's stand, shall we? If you're not a Christian here this morning, why not? 
There'll be people in this gathering who don't believe or trust in Jesus. Why not? Why not be rational this morning and make the biggest decision of your life? To trust him, the one who makes most sense, the one who makes um, the only sense of everything that the world throws at us, the one who stayed there on the cross for you, dying, the one who loves us beyond all reason. Come to him. We're going to worship now, and as we do,